We can measure time, but we cannot measure loss. As a free society, we have an obligation to never forget the sacrifice of those fallen officers and their families. Their memories must never be forgotten. On May 15th, we will gather on the West Front of the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. to honor our fallen brothers and sisters of law enforcement who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Attended by thousands and televised on C-SPAN for the world to see, the National Fraternal Order of Police will host its annual National Peace Officers Memorial Service. Planning for this event is a year-long labor of love for a small army of selfless volunteers. I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is the Blue View. Andy, uh, Matt, thank you for joining us on the Blue View podcast again. Thank you. We were here last year talking about Police Week and uh, the National Peace Officers Memorial Service. And uh, I want to, we want to talk about it's, it's here it is. It's on us again, but I, I, I want to talk about all, all of the efforts of the small army of, of uh, Army of Honor who, uh, who put together this memorial service and what it looks like uh, in your part. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to, um, uh, uh, Andy, we'll start with you if you could tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Andy Mabo. I've been a U.S. Capitol Police officer since 1999. Um, it's it's kind of unique being a Capitol Police officer because before I even got involved with the committee, I'd been you know working around the uh, National Service, you know, every year since I uh, first started as a rookie. Mm-hmm. So originally from Northern New Jersey, and uh, currently live in Virginia with my family. Okay. All right, Matt. A uh, little a little bit about yourself. Uh, I work for the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office in Minneapolis. Uh, I've been with the Sheriff's Office since uh, 1999. Um, I joined the FOP right when I got hired um, at the urging of some other officers and found it to be a a great experience. Uh, I started attending Police Week in 2004 and actually started helping out with the memorial service as a volunteer in 2006. Um, And I've just kind of Continued to get more involved every year, and then I was appointed as co-chair uh, here a few years ago. Well, welcome both of you, and thank you for, for what you do. Uh, you're both serving as the co-chairs of, of this committee. Uh, let me give a little bit of a background for you know for our viewers and listeners about our, our Peace Officers Memorial Service. For more than four decades, Fraternal Order Police has been honoring our fallen. It started off in a very small, and uh, I think it was Centennial Park. Uh, where they had uh, roughly 100, 150 people present, that very first one. And uh, probably half of those people had to do, were a, uh, a Boy Scout uh, troop that was on a field trip and saw what was going on and became part of it. Uh, and if, so if you look at that 150 people that showed up over four decades ago uh, and, and, and how this has evolved to what it is now, it's literally attended by 30,000, 40,000 people on the lawn of the Capitol. And usually the president speaks. But but I, I want to, you know, a lot of people don't realize this is significant. You know, the Fraternal Order Police started uh, this whole progr- process, uh, you know, of having this memorial services four decades ago. Um, before then, although there was a resolution signed by President Kennedy in the early 60s that identified May 15th as Peace Officers Memorial Day, there was really no formal national memorial. And I, I think it's an, an interesting or, or important to note that uh, the, May, the, 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 the date May 15th, is not a random date. On May 14th, 1915, was the very first FOP meeting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And on May 15th, the mayor recognized Fraternal Order Police as a legitimate organization. So it is also our birthday as well. Not only is it Peace Officers Memorial Day. So, so our evolution and our, our, our evolution of Police Week and, and our 
involvement. It started off as that first memorial service and it turned into what it is now of a, a week full of, uh, of events of training and, and, uh, honoring our fallen. All of these things have grown into a really, a really, uh, special event paying uh, paying tribute to, to our fallen and sacrifice and, and to surviving families as well. But more importantly, what I want to do is I want to talk about the Peace Officers Memorial Service. Uh, this committee is responsible for setting it up. I think a lot of people show up police week and they say, this is a really nice event, but it didn't just happen. There's a lot of planning that went into it and a year long of planning uh, to turn front lawn of the Capitol or the West front of the Capitol into what we know as our peace officers memorial service. And I'm going to ask you to, to, to just kind of walk us through of all the planning, uh, everything that is done in order to be able to have everything in place by May 15th. So Andy, we'll start with you. It's interesting. First off that you mentioned the date and how it's our, our birthday, because so many times, so many people over the years have said, Hey, why does it always have to be May 15th? Because it also interferes with graduations and so many other events going on both in and out of different, not only officers' lives and the families' lives, but, you know, in Washington, D.C. But May 15th, you know, that that's always been such a staple, especially at the U.S. Capitol. You know, back when, when I started with the police department and with the Fraternal Order of Police, I got involved with the memorial service, and Marcello Mazzotti was the chair. And watching the, the service and how it's evolved over the years and how everybody's kind of built off of the foundation we've had. And you go back to the to the eighties when it first started, as you said, there's so many moving parts now and there's so many different aspects of it. From, you know, just the logistics of having the chairs, the tents, the stages, you know, so many things of that, making sure we have enough water, making sure the programs are where they need to be. And as we always say, it's always about the white chairs. But you know, when you're dealing with so many different uh, colleges and institutions in, in Washington, making sure you have the proper amount of white chairs and red and blue chairs and everything for that service it is just a feat in itself, you know, and making sure we have the proper, you know, um, production companies and everything to assist us. And then also, as you said, you know, with the president being there on occasions, working with the White House, working with our federal agency partners, working with so many different groups and making sure that everything is about those officers we're honoring and the families. Yeah. So let me, I think it's, 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 uh, uh, a lot of our listeners and viewers, viewers may not recognize the significance of the white chair. So let me just explain, uh, when, when you're at the memorial service, you look out, there are roughly four or 5,000 white chairs that are directly in front of the stage. And those white chairs are where the surviving family seat are seated. Uh, so that's, that's really what it's all about. We're having that memorial service for them, paying honor to their fallen, and uh, so the color, the color of the chairs really d- represents other things on the sides, but the white chairs are really what's important in our reason of being there. So, um, you know, uh, Matt, let's uh, let's let's go over to you. Look, this this doesn't, you know, we we talk about the things that are necessary for us to to have this uh, this service on May fifteenth, um, but let's talk about let's kind of go back a little bit on the planning. When does the planning start for the next year's memorial service, and and you know, t- kind of walk us through that process. I would say the planning honestly starts uh, May 15th as soon as the service is done. Uh, I know all of us that are on the committee have our start making notes um, as soon as the service is done, what went well, what didn't, what we need to improve on for, you know, for the following year. Um, and throughout the year, you know, we have Zoom meetings or we talk and, and see what worked and what didn't and what we can improve. And then we have our annual planning meeting uh, in Nashville in February every year 
where our committee comes together from our members who are from all across the country. We're actually able to meet in person. Um, and that's where we really get down to business and go through stuff and um, and figure out who our musical acts are, figure out who's going to be placing flowers in honor of, um, you know, all fallen officers, um, military, you know, all those designations. Um, and that's where we really get most of our planning done is that that two day meeting. So the, the good thing is we've got an amazing team of volunteers on the committee um, that know their roles and have a, you know, are really good at offering suggestions or input um, based on their time on the, on the committee of what we can do to improve that service. Um, our goal is always to improve it and make it better for the survivors. Um, we've come to realize that a lot of them, especially within the last few years with, with COVID and um, agencies and events being shut down, they, a lot of these officers have not had the proper funeral or line of duty funeral that, uh, that they deserve. So this is, unfortunately, this is uh, kind of their line of duty death funeral that we're providing for them. It takes a small army. Uh, we've done a series of podcasts leading up to this one where we've talked to cops and in the role that they play and in, in providing services to to the surviving families. You know, we've talked to a survivor. We've talked to uh, to auxiliary who does all the planning. And, and it's interesting to note that, you know, this is not just simply putting something together and people come. Uh, of those uh, three, four thousand chairs we have set up for set up for families to participate they actually participate. They have to seat in a, be seated in a certain chair. We need to move that many people in a short period of time, get them in a particular seat because they are going to participate in our memorial service. Every one of those families is going to come up, place a flower, and be presented a medal, a Supreme Sacrifice medal. Um, let's talk about that army. Let's talk about how many people it takes and how many volunteers, just the generosity. You know, we have a committee uh, whose, whose responsibility is to make sure all these moving parts happen, but but in reality, it's, it's it's a lot bigger than just a committee. It's a whole bunch of people that are dedicated that uh, that uh, feel so strongly about honoring our fallen and, and paying respects to, to their families, surviving families that uh, that they show up and make a difference. Let's talk about that army. Sure. So, just just off the bat, I mean, we have close to probably over a hundred volunteers. Um, when you break it down, the various states, people, and that's, and that's just this committee. <laughs> it's not me. it's not cops. It's not the auxiliary. Correct. It's, that's yeah, just within the fraternal yeah, order police yeah. working with our committee. Um, various FOP uh, lodges and state-run uh, FOPs are sending people to assist us. We have local and federal agencies that come to assist us, whether it's checking credentials, assisting us moving the families, assisting us with getting the survivors just off the buses and seated. You know, it, it's it's such a large task. And as you said, just getting everybody seated properly so that when their loved one's name is called, everybody's in order and they're able to receive their engraved medal. You know, last year we had over 50 buses that had to be, you know, lined up and, and everybody seated. And we had 45 minutes to seat them all. And because of our volunteers, we make it happen. Yeah. As in, it would be impossible to do it without it. You know, we, we are talking about the Capitol. Uh, here's a secure location. Uh, it, and more often than not, the president of the United States is present. Uh, you know, so the, all the security concerns associated with it uh, fit, fit into play. But there are also uh, some high-ranking public officials there as well. So it, it is a... It is a secure facility at a time, May 15th, could, which could be the cold or it could be hot or it could be extremely hot. Or, you know, it's just a, we're at the, at the will of the weather. But since you don't know what those are, I mean, we've got a lot of planning that has to take place and be ready for whatever those scenarios are. So, so Matt, can you talk a little bit about some of the security concerns and safety concerns that exist uh, in, in, you know, when, in the planning of putting this event on? 
Well, anytime the president is going to be attending an event, there's obviously um, a lot of security concerns that go into place with that, especially an event like ours where it's an open air event. So um, we begin working with different federal agencies um, to get the security measures in place. Um, So not only that the president or the dignitaries that are in attendance that are safe, but as well as uh, all the surviving family members and officers and everybody that's attending. So um, it's it's kind of a process to get through all that. Luckily, we've um, the Capitol Police has been a great host agency, um, and Andy can can speak to that a little bit. But um, having him be part of that makes a big difference. Um, knowing the security procedures and the protocols, what we have to do, um, and there's unfortunately there's some other things obviously we'd like to do at times, but. Because of security concerns, we're not able to do that. Some of those things at times. Yeah. Andy, I know uh, you know putting this event on there are a lot of safety concerns associated too. Uh, we've had times when it has been extremely cool, uh, unseasonably cool. Uh, you know, in a shock, weather will change so quick during a time. Times when we, we had inclement weather, but uh, often we find ourselves kind of long days of the amount of people we need to move and putting them in chairs way before the service starts because it starts exactly as, you know, everything's orchestrated and time-wise and ought to be able to move that many people. It's, it's a long day for the survivors uh, and often sitting out in the heat. There are a lot of safety concerns associated as well, correct? That, absolutely. And all those are taken into account. Um, I'm not just saying it because I'm part of the agency, but Capitol Police truly does a stellar job every year with the organization of the event, the security and the safety of everyone. The different plans that are put in place are absolutely remarkable. And as I was talking about having the various federal uh, organizations and agencies involved, I mean, we even have medical tents set up by Department of uh, Health and Human Services, and and they're all set up to to care for the families and loved ones and the visiting officers, along with air-conditioned sites, and we have chilled water, and it it just, the list goes on. Damn. Yeah, it's a... It's, it truly is uh, remarkable to see all of the moving parts that make it happen. You know, um, both of you, whichever one wants to weigh in on it, but uh, I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about the evolution, at least what I've seen in, you know, 20, almost 30 years of going to the memorial service uh, now, probably 30 years of going to memorial service. Uh, the kind of the evolution, uh, you know, every president since George Walker Bush uh, has spoken at our service. I don't Was there any before that? I think, I think he was the first. No, he was to, the first. He was the first to actually speak at a memorial service. There has not been a president since who has not been um, numerous times uh, at our memorial service. Uh, so that in itself, you know, really is, a, is, is significant. Here's the leader of the free world um, taking time of their busy schedule in order to be able to pay honor to, to America's fallen. And I, I think that their, their presence is, we've done a good job, you know, politics are, are so divided in this country, but we've done a very good job of not making it a political event. Um, it's the honor of, uh, of, of the office, and that's a position we've had since, since the very beginning of president appearing um, in all the log- logistics that go along with it. So, you know, we see that, uh, you know, it, it, there is there's going to be dignitaries that are going to be there, uh, and it, it just gives such meaning to the day. But, but I also look at the uh, at the entertainment. Uh, you know, we've, we've got uh, well-known entertainers that, that actually – really want to be part of our memorial service. And, you know, Andy, you might be better to answer this question, but kind of go over some of the people that have been and that have uh, performed at our memorial service and uh, you know, what you see in the future. You know, we've had so many amazing artists that have come in, And as you said, Pat, they want to be there. You know, a lot of times they're there on their own accord. Um, country music, you know, pop artists. I mean, you go back in the 80s and the 90s, some of the, the artists we had back then, 
you know, a big part, you know, and due to uh, Tommy Batola, former uh, head of Sony, um, you know, so many others that have contributed to getting these artists there. And now, you know, recently the, the country music uh, network of artists, I mean, they're constantly reaching out to us saying, hey, do you need a singer this year? Um, I mean, some of the big names we've had have been everyone from Lee Bryce. We've had Eric Church, Vin Skill, you know, and, and to the pop world, we've had Mariah Carey. We've had um, Mark Anthony. We've had even Tony Bennett. We've had, you know, so many, so many yeah. amazing artists. And it makes such a difference for the families because when they see these artists up there singing and then all of a sudden they're back in their home states and they hear somebody singing maybe the song they sang at the service where they hear that artist on the radio, it brings them right back to, yeah. to that service and remembering their loved one. Yeah, it's a, you know, without a doubt, uh, you know, I tell, I tell all of the small army that puts this memorial service on that they are some pretty powerful people uh, because their work has taken a moment in time that will never be forgotten by those, uh, those families. And uh, so it's, it's very possible, you know, very, very, very powerful to see how this unfolds. And you're right. If they hear that song, the things that bring them back to, to this uh, moment of honor is, uh, is, is something special. So Andy, it, it, there's again, a lot of moving parts here. And uh, this is just one component of a whole lot of things that are happening to make our memorial service what it is. And the other side of this, uh, you know, which we I've, I've had them on and, and uh, we have a podcast with them as well as the auxiliary, the FOP auxiliary and the work that they do. But really those two committees, it's, it's hard to tell where one starts and one ends, correct? Yeah, absolutely. However, I got to say the auxiliary is the foundation of everything we're doing because they're working with the families. They're in the hotel with the families, with the surviving families and they're the ones who who really get those personal connections with them. In fact, you know, when they get to the actual site for the National Memorial Service, it's kind of when we take over, um, you know, but everything leading up to that really is the auxiliary and the amazing job that they do. And also we have to recognize cops as well because uh, cops is, uh, you know, it is their hotel. They're the ones that are hosting all of the surviving families there. They're working a number of workshops. And, and again, we have a podcast with them as well, uh, kind of explaining police week uh, as part of this series, uh, the great working relationship we have with that small army of, of, uh, of army of honor. Yeah. So there's also, you know, there's others we need to recognize as well. Obviously Capitol police, it's their, this is their world. This is their home. And they're inviting us in and allowing us to uh, to come onto their facility and and have our memorial service. Uh, and and there are others as well, right? Absolutely. And, and not only is it Capitol Police and so many other federal agencies that assist us, but one I have to give a shout out to is the architect of the Capitol and their staff. You know, they're the ones who are making sure the grounds are in perfect condition for us, and any needs we have, they're going to address. They're going to help us with all our load in of all the the heavy duty equipment. They're going to help us make sure we have the power needs we need, not only for the media, but for all the security concerns and everything else. They're just a remarkable group of individuals. Absolutely. So, guys, I want to ask each one of you a question. And, uh, you know, this is this is one where it gets personal. Um, I have gone to the service and, and seen things that really uh, just kind of tug at my heart. Uh, and, and, but by the grace of God, I mean, we're all law enforcement officers and, and dedicated our, our lives and working in public safety. And, but by the grace of God, it's not us. And, and we see these things and, and they have a way of, of affecting us as individuals as well. Um, uh, Matt, let's start with you. Um, is there a, a, is there an experience that you've had 
while working with this committee uh, to put this on, that really kind of brings it home and says, you know what, that's why I'm here. For me, it's now being a father and seeing the, um, the children whose mother or father was killed in line of duty. Um, seeing them attend the service and especially when they're very young, um, just wondering what the rest of their life is going to be like without their, without their mother or father. It's very tough to, to see them. It, it makes it personal. I know you see families walk up, uh, you see uh, children walking up uh, dressed in uniforms uh, honoring their fall and you see the pictures and it just, it really brings it to home, brings it home. Uh, Andy, how about you? Yeah. And, and I not only echo with Matt said, but you know, there's, there's one experience that I recall that's, that's stayed with me for years. And when we have, I'll give you one story. The uh, when the artists come to town, if they come in the night before. A lot of times, we'll we'll give them kind of a tour of of Police Week if they want to see it. And there was a country singer, very prominent country singer, who we brought to the memorial wall, and they were overcome with emotion. And as they were walking around, and I don't want to say their name out of respect for the 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 way the situation broke down, but as they were walking through there was a family and it was a mother and her three children sitting at the wall and they were talking to the, to their father who had been killed the year before. And the country music singer was walking and all of a sudden the family recognized the country singer and then proceeded to say how that was their father's favorite singer. And he just gotten that, that singer's album and listened to them all the time. And, it was one of the children's birthdays and I'll never forget, you know, that singer singing the kids' birthdays and just, you know, it, it's never been forgotten. It's always stuck with me how so many things we do and so many experiences we see, you know, it's, there's always that cliche, you know, sometimes things were meant to happen and you look at something like that, you know, that we're doing good. You know, I remember another one and this is one, so many of us, I think, remember, but yet forget. We've been blessed with pretty decent weather over the years, sometimes a little cold, sometimes extremely hot. But there was one year when it was just pouring. I mean, you couldn't see in front of you. It was raining so hard. And I'll never forget the minute those buses rounded the corner, all of a sudden the rain stopped like someone threw a switch. And there was the most dynamic rainbow any of us had ever seen. Yeah. And it was something, if you were there, you'll never forget it. And it's just little experiences like that, that just, you know, carry you through and, and make you realize the good we're doing because, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's experiences like that, that really, you know, you take away from. Absolutely. It's a special event and anyone who plans on going to police week for the first time needs to accept one fact. It won't be their last. Yeah. It's that movie. So, uh, so one of the logistics, I've always been amazed to see uh, the amount of media coverage that uh, that happens at our service. So, you know, you, there there are other dynamics too. Let's let's talk about those. Uh, you know, trying to support the media's needs with risers. Uh, Matt, I'll let you you know run with that one and, uh, and and talk about some of the logistics it takes in order to have that secure location uh, with all of this equipment that needs to be brought in. 
one of our committee members, Travis Parker, is kind of our media liaison and works with um, all the media requests associated with our service each year. Uh, we've got a press riser that we've got set up in the back. Um, the reason it's we've got it set up where it is is because it doesn't interfere with the service at all. Um, we've had requests to have cameras or other media up closer uh, to the front of the stage, closer, and we've said continually said no because we don't want to take anything away um, from from the service for those surviving family members. Um, I do have to say that the White House the last couple of years, um, when the president's been at the service, the White House staff has been very accommodating um, and very mindful of the service. Um, they obviously want to get their coverage of the service, but they're also very mindful that they don't want to interfere with our service and take anything away or get in the way for the survivors viewing that service. So um, it's it's a challenge getting them all accommodated, and we're never going to accommodate all the media, but I think um, we want to make sure that the service is televised so people do see it and do understand what we put on and why we are there um, so they can see how we honor our fallen brothers and sisters. Um, but I think it's... Um, like I said, it's still a challenge, but I think we do a good job of balancing having the media there without them getting in the way and causing causing issues. You know, Andy, uh, you know, so we'll have 30, 30 plus, 30, 40,000. I think our, our largest has probably been closer to 40,000 when you think. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's attended. It's widely attended. Uh, no question. But but it's also honored across this country as well. Uh, so if someone can't make it to Washington, D.C., uh, talk about how they can uh, watch our service. Well, for one, as long as the president's there, it's always going to be uh, broadcast on C-SPAN. And as of recent years, um, due to our advancement in technology, we've been also able to to uh, stream it live. Um, normally, prior to the uh, service, once we have those links, we put them out on our website, policeweek.org, um, and, and that gives everyone the opportunity to live stream it. And then if, unfortunately, if they're from a, a location – where they've lost a, an officer locally. A lot of times the local networks will, will stream that as well for them. Okay. So, so guys, uh, either one of you, um, if someone wants to know some more about how maybe they may be here in Washington and want to help out, um, what would be the best way to, for them to go about uh, contacting either one of you? Pat, the best way to contact us is through our website, policeweek.org. Uh, my contact info is listed on there as well as Andy's, as well as everybody on the committee. Uh, if people are interested in volunteering or assisting uh, leading up to the service or at the service itself, um, they can just reach out to one of us and we will get in touch with them and see if we can accommodate their, their request to, uh, to volunteer. We'll always take volunteers um, because, like you've said, we it wouldn't be possible without those volunteers. Okay, well, we're great. Uh, Andy and Matt, I'll give you a chance to do some closing thoughts. Tell Tell us why. I mean, look, obviously your dedication being chairman of this committee and having been members of the committee for, for quite some time uh, speaks a lot about your commitment to, to, to our fallen. But just for our closing thoughts, tell us what it means for you to, to, uh, to be part of this memorial service. So I've been part of the memorial committee since 06, and it's been the most humbling experience of my entire career, uh, being able to honor the fallen officers and being able to assist the families of those who made the ultimate sacrifice it has been just absolutely remarkable. That the the feeling you get when you know you could help the family of a loved one who made that ultimate sacrifice is indescribable. Well said, Matt. Uh, I would have to kind of echo what Andy says that it's a very humbling and moving experience. Um, 
with everything going on during the week, we kind of lose focus sometimes because we're so concerned about other things until the day of the service and you see the survivors pull in, you see them start getting off the buses um, and being able to, to help that family remember that day um, and remember their loved one um, while they get their Supreme Sacrifice medal and place that flower in the wreath. Um, for me, probably one of the biggest honors in my career as, as one of the co-chairs of the committee is escorting the survivors from the buses into their seats. Um, and leading that walk or leading those survivors in is a very uh, humbling experience and something that I will never forget. Well, Matt, uh, Andy, let, let me just tell you this. Uh, you know, I've been going to this service for quite some time. And, and every time I come here, you know, as uh, now as the president and before as a board member, I'd always get pats on the back talking about what an absolute awesome job I've done. And in reality, the credit goes to to each of you and to your committee and to all of our volunteers who make this happen because uh, I just showed up. Uh, the the honor that is bestowed on the families, uh, the trying to make sense of the senseless uh, at at, at you know, families' lives that are struggling and, and giving meaning to 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 their loved ones' uh, contribution uh, to to society and and, and remembering them is uh, is just something that leaves me in absolute awe when I watch this army how finely tuned it is and, and, and does the things that they do during police week. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And uh, to our, to our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to the blue view podcast, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up in communities across this country every single day. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.